0: Without further ado, let's turn to the scriptures. We've been in Philippians chapter 4, and we're just going to read the first three verses. We're in the last chapter, and you're going to start to see that in this last chapter of Philippians, Paul really starts to nail down a theme of of perseverance, I think. After he's given us a lot of things to think about, he'll now say in a number of different ways, hey, stick with it. It's worth it. Persevere. It's worth it. Stand firm. You have everything that you need to do so. Stick with it. Uh, And we start with the the first three verses. I'm going to read them. We'll pray and we'll get into the holy word of God. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Bless you. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we come before you with fear and trembling. Knowing that you are working in us to work for your good pleasure, working to will and to uh, work for your good pleasure and we ask now that you would do that very thing in us as we listen to the things that you have said. We believe that your word spoken is divinely powerful. God breathed Adequate and useful for teaching and training and correction and rebuke that we might be made uh, righteous men and women in uh, in the image of our God whom we love. We believe that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce through dividing a soul and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Your word can read us better than we can read ourselves. We also believe that your word is good and it's true and it's sufficient and it's powerful. And it points ultimately to the living word that is Jesus Christ. And so we ask together as a church, in agreement, that as we read the written word, it would draw us, drag us, if needed, to the living word Jesus Christ. That as you would once say to a group of Pharisees, you, you read the scriptures because in them you think that they have eternal life, but these scriptures point to me. May we be drawn to the living Christ, who is resurrected, glorified, and seated on high. And may that be the compelling vision that we need to love our neighbor, to love the oppressed, to seek the good of the land and each other. May it be enough to change everything. We pray that it would start here with this little text in Philippians For your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, um, the main draw for many people in the church is not so much the preaching or the programs being offered by a church or even the style, whether it's worship or whether it's Uh, anything else in the the structure of the the church, the main draw for many people to a local group of of spiritual seekers that we call the church is the experience of community. That is the deep longing of most people. Now, there are those uh, who look for some of those things. They might hop from church to church to church because of some of that stuff. But the deepest underlying reason for even going to a church, for most people, obviously there's exceptions, but for most people, is the deep experience of community. Likewise, the reason people will leave church and never come back again is for lack of community. Community is the life breath of people's souls, And when I say community, I don't mean mere connection, things that we can get uh, in the business world and at work and even with a group of friends. And I certainly don't mean networking. The type of community I mean is that a very deep, a spiritually meaningful form of belonging and relationship. Uh, A couple sociologists by the name of Josh Packard and Ashley Hope writing about people who are on the fence in the local church and what they most long for, put it this way. They describe this type of people who understand Christianity through interacting with others and a commitment to share life fully and honestly with a bunch of people. Not just networking and connection. And I'll read that again. The ability to understand Christianity, God... Through interacting with others and a commitment to share life fully and honestly with a bunch of people. What we're talking about here is a particular deep kind of community where you actually learn more about who God is through people around you. That's what a lot of people long for. Maybe that resonates with your heart today. In other words, if I can boil down the sociologist's language into two uh, words love, and belonging in a spiritual family. Okay, five words. Now, with that backdrop, and perhaps your heart hearing that is like just just salivating for something like that. Listen to the words that Paul starts as he speaks to the Philippian church. My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, and my crown, my beloved. Hear that language? Does that that trigger anything inside of you? I know it does for me. Paul is, is reaching, he's hitting these words. He's speaking about family, the words that he's using. Family, and real authentic love, and a longing for others. He's calling them his joy, What he almost like what he lives for in a sense, my beloved. He's attaching uh, unbelievable value to them, and he doesn't even live in Philippi. He's in a prison in Rome. That thing that for thousands of years people still desire more than anything—not programs, uh, uh, not uh, you know activity necessarily, not preaching. Uh, but that that sense of love and belonging is the the greatest desire for many people. Paul is reaching into that, and it seems like the Philippians have that. And Paul is speaking to them. All the things that we're going to hear comes out of that. Now, the Philippian church is far from perfect. In the chapters that we've read, right, we've seen all sorts of things. We've seen entitlement. We've seen envy. We've seen selfish ambition. We're about to see a dispute and infighting. Uh, we've seen uh, possible legalism that leads into judgmentalism. Uh, it's, the Philippian ch- it's the Philippian city, so uh, there's probably a lot of privilege there and entitlement uh, from being a Roman colony. There's all the same baggage that every church probably has uh, for the last 2,000 years and that we certainly have. This is not a perfect, polished church. But one thing they do have is spiritual community. And it seems like that gets people through a lot. Spiritual community grounded in the presence, the living presence of Christ gets them through all that other stuff which they have. It's almost like Paul is the backdrop is like, I know, and, and you read all of his letters to all these other early churches, and they all have dirt, man. And yet he's he's reaching into the heart. For that sense of spiritual community bound in Christ, I think this raises a couple questions before we get into the, the heart of the text. One is: This what you have today? Do you have this at Reality Santa Barbara? Maybe not. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. How do we? How do we get this? How do we cultivate deep longing, uh, deep belonging, and love in a church? Of 500 people. I think this should keep us up at night. I think this is an important thing to pursue. Uh, We do open spaces for this, like we have home groups. Guess what? They're all filled to capacity. Why? Because people long for this. I'm praying for some of you to be called by God to lead more open homes and groups. Those of you with the gift of hospitality and love who might not be able to do anything else in the world except say hi with a smile on your face, Uh, and maybe you have the spiritual gift of cooking a tuna casserole. (laughs) Whatever. This seems like a big thing, and perhaps you're hearing it and you're going, yes, I, I wish I had that. The second thing that we could ask of this text is what's coming next is not from this itinerant preacher-apostle shouting commands from his throne, but it's from a loving family member. The things that he's saying is not from like this bureaucratic guy that's just shouting to the, the Philippian church, you need to get along, and you need to pursue Christ, and you need to do that. It's from one of the, you know, If anything, one of the brothers, a part of the family, deeply in love and bound together by the heart to these people that he's speaking to. He really cares about them. The things that he's about to say come from a sense that, gosh, I love you and I care for you and this is for your ultimate well-being. And the thing that he's about to say is pretty simple. He's going to tell him to persevere, I think. He says... In that first sentence, therefore, right? My mom used to tell me, uh, what is the therefore therefore? You ever heard that? The therefore is kind of a hinge, right? This is the way that she would explain it. Thank you, mom. The therefore is a hinge connecting what you're currently reading to whatever came before it. Paul is saying, since I said this, therefore that. So if you look right before what we just read, what's Paul talking about? He's speaking about truly pr- just pressing in to God in the love of Christ, pressing on to what we don't have yet in order to pursue it because Christ has pursued and apprehended us, pressing on in Christ's love. And so Paul, speaking as a loving brother but also a loving father, spiritual father, saying, hey, if this is actually true of you, if you believe that Christ, if Christ has apprehended you if you are in Christ, then uh, if that is, if that is a, the reality of your situation, stand firm, he says in that first verse. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And when he says stand firm, he's essentially saying, hey, stay the course, persevere. We're going to see in the rest of chapter four how things might get a little hard. And we're going to see Paul constantly harping at this theme stand firm in the Lord. What, do you, what does he mean by stand firm? We could probably attach a bunch of different meanings to that phrase, right? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get more religious. Go to church more. Sign up for volunteering. Do something that will make you feel more spiritual. There's so many things. That's probably not what Paul means. I think what, I think what Paul means here can be found in the context in which he says stand firm, and he says it twice. He says it at the beginning of Philippians, and he says it right here at the end. Right here at the end in chapter 4, verse 1, he tells us to stand firm thus in the Lord, that our perseverance must come in Christ. He's essentially just telling us, continue to abide in Christ. He's been saying that week in and week out. In almost every passage we've been hitting, this theme of abiding in Christ. You know what abiding in Christ means? It's simple, To put it in the simplest terms, it just means to, to rely on and trust in Jesus who is in you. And we start to develop a pattern and a habit of doing that where we get used to constantly relying on and being in Jesus in difficult times and in prosperous times, in affluent times and in poor times. We're constantly leaning on Jesus, abiding in him and on him. Paul is saying that is your act of perseverance. In whatever you're about to go through, whatever you're going through now, stay in Jesus. Is there anything more important than that? Paul, would have, Paul said verses earlier in the previous chapter, I'm willing to give up my pedigree. I'm willing up to give up my master's degree, my uh, spiritual, social community. I'm willing up to give up everything external that made me feel good about myself in order to taste more deeply of what it means to, follow, uh, to, to abide in Jesus Christ. So deeply I, it, it has this impacted me that there is literally nothing more valuable, and I would be willing to lose anything for it. In fact, he would go on to say, I did. And he continues to harp on that same message stand firm, abide in Christ, stand firm in Christ. But it doesn't just mean abide in Christ. If you remember, turn back to chapter 1, verse 27. He says the same phrase speaking about abiding. In uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. You remember when we spoke about that passage? The unity of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ? So standing firm for Paul means abiding in Christ together in unity. It has to, and it involves a spiritual community that you lean on. We lean on Christ. We lean on each other. And it seems like that's kind of what he's, what he's speaking about because of the example that he immediately goes into with an example of, of two people. And I'll just read it again. He says in verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Um. A lot of people in the church name their kids after uh, biblical characters. Uh, We did as well. I've never heard kids named after these two. I think it would be awesome if you did. If you do, tell me, because that's awesome. Syntyche, come over here! But anyway, uh, these women are two leaders in the Philippian church. Uh, Don't know much about what's going on, but we know that these two women are highly influential. They're in. Uh, they're leading in this fledgling church in Philippi, and for some reason they're butting heads. I don't know why they're butting heads. We can probably rule out what they're not butting heads about. It's probably not, you know, some crazy heresy, uh, and it's probably not uh, some uh, crazy immorality. They probably weren't embezzling money or killing people. Um, Any time those things pop up, Paul writes whole letters about that. So probably not that. Likely, they're just disputing about something personal, but what we, can, uh, what we can deduce from this is that it has grown so big that it's tearing their relationship apart. And because of the, uh, the influence that these two women have in the church, it's also tearing apart the whole church community. And perhaps you've, you've tasted that experience before. How two people butting heads can, can, can just gr- pull in a bunch of other people and how easily a thriving community can be split over a matter of difference in opinion. Uh, a huge work of the devil uh, to undermine fellowship in the spirit is by getting people to bite each other's heads off. Um, so we can probably, I'll just stop right there, probably... At least know that much. There's these two women in the church. They're fighting over something. uh, And it's big enough for them that it's tearing not only them apart. But the whole church community. Uh, I've seen this a lot. Just recently. With people of differing opinions. Perhaps you have as well. Uh, I shared this story a while back. I don't know if you remember it. uh, When we were at the the work zones in Paseo Nuevo. um, Around these people. Uh, working different businesses and one of them from the east coast was sharing with me how, how foreign and different it was for him to come to California because uh, where he's from on the east coast people can freely speak about differing opinions and for them it's no sweat because th- your opinion is not your identity I think. That's kind of how he's explaining it to me. Therefore, we can talk, have a robust conversation, and not agree on anything, and I'm still cool with you. We could still be friends. And he was telling me in this workplace, like, what is it about California? Like, I come here, and it's like people, like, you can only be my friend if we agree about everything. And he was like, I don't get it. Like, I, I have, like, he's a pretty controversial person, and he's just, like, just fuming, like, in the work, just right there, just like... People only want to be my friends if we believe about the same thing. I don't want to agree with anybody about anything, you know? And he's like, I don't get it. I think we can still be friends and come to differing conclusions. And then he said something that just just got me right here. And he's all, and of all of California, Santa Barbara is the worst. This is from a New Yorker. Santa Barbara is the worst. He's all, people here have a hard time. Having differing opinions, it like destroys their relationships. And I took that with conviction and repentance and said, yes, I do that all the time. I'm doing it with you right now. (laughs) And I have not attained perfection, but I reach forward for the prize. Um, This seems really, really... Uh, timely for us today. To be able to transcend disagreements because we are all in Christ together. And we see this because immediately after this, Paul simply says, he entreats these two women, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Uh, this word, agree in the Lord, must be really important to Paul because he says it about ten times in this whole book. Now, I want to speak first about what he doesn't mean when he says agree. He doesn't mean that we all need to believe the same things and be cookie cutters of each other. He's not calling for us to be clones of one another uh, in, the small, in, in all the small things. Uh, He's not telling us to believe even every single detail of every uh, similar thing, but rather to go with the one big thing, that is Jesus. I'm getting this because he uses the same phrase, agree in the Lord, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. If you can turn there, just read that with me. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, here it is, by being of the same mind. Same phrase in the Greek. Same mind. You see what he's he's saying right there? We spoke about that at length uh, a couple months ago. He's speaking about the same mind, not the same opinions. It's okay to have varying diversity in, belief, uh, in, in, in a lot of different beliefs and opinions so long as we can agree on the things that are important. Like you are in Christ and I am in Christ and I think that's enough. He's not calling, he's calling for uniformity, uh, excuse me, unity but not uniformity. Does that make sense? He's calling us to have the same mind, not necessarily the same opinions. So if we were to take this to heart, Paul isn't saying, I want you to become uh, cookie cutter clones of one another, but rather, uh, you're going to have differences, just learn to bury them for the sake of love. Have your convictions, have all of your heavy opinions, if that's who you are, have all of that stuff. Uh, look for true, look for the right way. Have it all ironed out, you know? Talk about it. Have robust discussions. Just don't let those things get in the way of love. Learn to bury your differences. Those aren't more important than this in Christ. Um, if you're from Santa Barbara, like me, and are wondering how that's even possible, uh, think of it in this way. Marriage, Okay? I'm married to this gal. Her name is Brianna. And she hates three things. She hates fish. She hates beans. And she hates any type of vegetable that is dark green and smells like the earth. Um, this is difficult for me because I love all of those things. I live for seafood. I think Mexican food is the gift of God to humankind. I know I'm like half Asian, but like I'm also full Californian. And so I think like in heaven when we get there, the staple food will probably be Mexican food. And this is, that's just my personal opinion. It's not like I'm not claiming God is saying this. Although in Luke chapter 13, Jesus does say... That people will come from the north, the uh, east, the west, and the south to recline at God's table. So I think that means, like, huevos rancheros with Jesus for breakfast. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. I digress. I love, you know, she loves Mexican food, but she hates beans. Whether it's refried beans, whether it's hummus, doesn't matter. Um, Chard. I live for chard. And asparagus and broccoli and anything that's dark green and, and tastes like dirt. I just love it. She hates it. And this is kind of a big deal because that's what we eat, and we tend to eat with each other like three times a day, so or at least twice a day. Uh, but guess what? We're still married. Somehow we made it work. Praise God. Um, that's a silly example. And by the way, not to throw ourselves up as this bastion of perfect relationships, because guess what? I can count five times more examples of us not doing that well. And it's usually, it's often, well, not usually, often my fault. Uh, Things that are far less significant than, than the food that we eat. And I'll find myself, like, just fighting, you know, like just fighting with my wife about something, or like, you know, I just silent treatment or whatever, like, all of that stuff that we do that we pretend like we're not doing, we show up at church with all smiles, but we've just been fighting all weekend, I've done stuff like that, and sometimes I'll, you know, we'll forgive each other, and it'll be all good, and then I'll be like, what were we fighting about? Like, I don't even remember, it was so stupid, and sometimes I'll remember, and we look at each other, we're like can't believe that that's what ruined our day. Um, do, you ever, do you ever do that? Not e- either with your spouse, maybe not just with your spouse, but just with people. It's often the little things that tear relationships apart. Uh, and I want us to ask this question, why? Why would Paul say to lay aside those differences because I'm never going to stop liking or loving refried beans but if i were to take this at face value paul would be saying to me hey get over it and learn to live in love with your wife i will have certain opinions that uh that that confront people uh in my life there are probably things that i believe that if you knew them you would walk out of this church right now and i'm not telling you what they are But that's true of all of us. We are diverse people, uh, complex humans made in the image of God with a variety of different thoughts. We are going to confront and contradict each other. That's just the way life is, and I think it's beautiful. But it, it rubs at our edges, right? And Paul is saying, learn to put those aside for the sake of love. Why would we do that? I want to give you three reasons, and then I'm done. One of them we just saw is because we're in the Lord, We're no longer living for ourselves anymore. We're a part of a family and a part of a person that is bigger than ourselves. And being in Christ changes everything for you. Union with Christ changes everything for you and me. Because when you look at Jesus, you see a different quality of life. The passage that we're memorizing together Tells us that Jesus, even though he had privilege, even though he had honor, even though he had power, even though he's God, he did not uh, grasp those things. If I could rephrase the text that we're memorizing, he did not consider his, his godly authority as a privilege to be used for himself. But he emptied himself of privilege for the sake of other people. That's Jesus. That is the best type of love. That is love incarnate. But What does it mean for him to be in us? It means that he is working in us to become like that. That's why Paul, right before that, says uh, to consider others more significant than yourselves. He is now working in us to work the same. And look at even how Paul, speaking about all of this, look at how Paul is speaking to these two women. He's entreating them. That word means to plead with them. The apostle Paul. He's pleading with them. Two times it says that. Now consider that Paul is like kind of a big deal, apostle, I don't know, heard from Christ, gets revelations from Jesus, started all of these churches, apostle to the Gentiles, has a certain amount of authority. He could probably wield that power in a really sick way. Paul could probably fall into some rhythms and say, you know what, knock it off. Don't you know who I am? I started a couple things. I'm a big deal. You haven't been through what I've been through. I'm a Benjamite. Circumcised on the day. you know, going through that whole thing, using it as his resume. I started all of these churches. I see Christ like we we talk every day. What do you do? He could really use his privilege and his honor and his power to push people down. And yet he pleads with him. I just see this picture almost of him just getting on his knees and just pleading with people. Hey, get along. We're in Christ. This is so telling that Paul is not just telling us to do that, but he has taken it on himself. We are citizens of a family. We are citizens of heaven, and we are a family. That's the first reason. We're in Christ. The, the next two reasons are in this next line where he then brings in this person called the true companion. I don't know who that is, but it seems like a, a mediator. It must be an argument that's getting so crazy he's bringing in a mediator and he tells this mediator he describes the women, the women to this mediator as women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel so the reason uh, reason number two we could say Yodia, Syntyche, you're a part of something huge you're a part of the kingdom of God unraveling in the city of Philippi isn't that amazing you're a part of something bigger and more significant than anything you could put together by yourself. Like you get to, God is pulling you into something incredible. We could say that to each other. We, we, get, we get to be followers of Jesus in the city of Santa Barbara. We get to gather with hundreds of people on Sunday. We get to gather with uh, dozens of people throughout the week and enjoy good food and good drink and good fellowship. We get to be with one another. For those of us who, who have been able to tap into that, for those of us that are wanting to tap into that, and we get to, uh, to ask ourselves the question, what is God doing by his spirit right where I live? And God the Father is calling each of you by name to participate in an incredible story that he is narrating through our city and through the world. And he's saying, you... And maybe some of you that the rest of the world is looked upon as insignificant and unworthy, God is saying, you're just the type of person that I can make a a world of difference with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. You're just the the raw substance I was looking for to do something in the city of Santa Barbara. It sounds like that's kind of the language Paul is using. Reason number two. Why not let our differences tear us apart because we're, we're in Christ and we're a part of something huge. Reason number three, last one. He grounds all of this in grace. He says, your names are in the book of life. God sought you when you hated him, when you hated each other. He ran after you like the prodigal father. He met you in the street when you are dirty, when you are unworthy, When you're living in sin, when you wanted no part of him or or, or part of his kingdom, he pursued you and he continues to pursue you. And your names are written in the book of life. For all of you believers in the building, that speaks of a, a, a love that is so secure. As Paul would say to the Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not angels, not demons, not even your own mistakes, nothing. So deep is the love of God's heart for you. And Paul is grounding the reality of our new life in Christ over and above the, er- the ways that we will fight with one another. And we will. We will have differences of opinion. We will contradict one, an- one another We'll make mistakes. We'll hurt each other. Paul is saying that's all going to come. That's all going to happen. It's happening right now. But you have something here that can pull you through that. Stand firm. God pursues us by his grace and dwells us with his love and then gives us a great commission. What a wonderful vision of life to, work, uh, to live in and to be a part of. And yet, if, if you're like me, I would have to be honest and say, yes, all of that, but I still let minor squabbles ruin my trust in God, ruin my relationships with other people, not just in my marriage, but with my kids, not just in my family, but with people in the body. I still get hurt. I still act out of that hurt. I still give people the cold shoulder I still act like an immature punk kid when I get slighted. I do all of those things. Paul is exhorting us to leave aside our differences and yet I would have to say personally I have a hard time doing that sometimes. Do you? The question we should ask when we're having a hard time following Jesus is is not to cultivate shame but to ask Questions of the heart. Why? Chris Laza, why do I get so bent out of shape when people have different opinions from me? Why is it so important? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll just share with you a few of my own personal reasons. Maybe you have your own. Maybe some of them are similar. But here's the truth. I want to be right. I want to to be right. I mean, for crying out loud, my job is to talk, you know, for 40 minutes every Sunday. I want to be right. I don't want to get things wrong. Um, Perhaps sometimes, uh, you know, especially if it's a a, a heavy conversation, um, I might even take it personally. Maybe I even get pretentious and cocky and arrogant. Uh, They're not as experienced as me. I've been doing this for at least 50 minutes you know, I've learned, you know, 35 years old. You know, where have you been? You're only 34, you know, whatever. <clears throat> Here's another reason that's true of me. I feel threatened. I do. I feel threatened when people disagree with me. Um, I sometimes have a hard time separating what I believe from my identity. So when, you, oh, when a person comes against what I believe... I take it as a personal attack. I know all of these things are wrong, just being honest. This is what the Lord is saving me from. Um, I don't think I. I might get to a point where I'm like, yeah, we should really set aside our differences for the sake of the gospel. You know what? You go first. (laughs) Because I'm right. Uh, I don't think I should be the one to give in for the sake of unity. I would really love it if you did, so that I could save face. (laughs) Don't tell anybody, but that's true. And sometimes I'm just a hurt, punk little kid who feels slighted, and I don't want to give in. I know that love is the better way, and I just don't want to do it. Uh, Are you hearing the, the one or two words that keep cropping up in everything that I'm saying about myself? I, 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 me, 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 me. Here's my problem. Do you have any problems like that? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 3 through 4, he turns that way of thinking, which is normal for the world, on its head because we're now in the kingdom of God by saying weird stuff like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility. Check. Count others more significant than yourselves. Check. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We've read that a couple times, but just think about the power and extravagance of such a statement. Consider other people more significant than yourself. That's insane. that's true love and that's what Jesus did for people who are full of themselves the core problem for me and perhaps for us is that truly if we're honest with ourselves we consider ourselves more important than others let's just say it for what it is for those of you that want to put yourself in the same boat as me let's just be honest with ourselves and call it what it is we love ourselves more than other people And that's the heart of it. The main problem in a lot of relationships is that we're watching out primarily for ourselves. And so I can say this verse all day long. I can memorize it with you. I can preach on it. I did. But there's a part of me that doesn't really want to change because I love myself. And why should I change? Maybe you're saying the same thing. I see what you're saying, Chris and Apostle Paul and Jesus. But the truth is, like I am awesome. Like You don't know what I'm going through. At my workplace, Like I've got it down and everybody else is wrong and they need to listen to me and if they did, everything would turn around. You don't understand my dad. You don't understand my kid. You don't understand what I'm going. People need to come around to my end of things. They need to bend their will to me because I think I've got the solution. <laughs> And why should I change? Why should I give other people the freedom, that type of freedom, to where I would defer to them over myself? Why would I do that? Why would any of us do that? I want to give you a couple things, things that have been popping up throughout Philippians for you to think about that might be compelling enough for you to want change. One is simply the health of our own soul. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what the Bible tells us about who you are. If you are in Christ, your heart wants to be like Jesus. It wants, it wants the law of God. It wants love. It wants freedom in the spirit. It wants freedom for other people at the expense of self. The the prophets in Ezekiel and Jeremiah told us that God would exchange our hearts of stone for hearts of flesh so that we would want to desire the things that God loves. So if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, there's a part of you, your deep innermost being that wants to deny self for other people. Well, there's another part of you because you're a complex human person that hates that. We call it, we've been calling it the flesh. Paul calls it the flesh. And that is warring against the the truest part of you. And that is causing this conflict of soul. Have any of you been experiencing the conflict of soul? I want to do the right thing, but I can't. Or I want to do the right thing, but I don't. Paul said that, right? The thing that I want to do, I don't do it. It's the evil thing that is in me that I, I don't do. The sin that is in my members. And if you have been living that way for a long time, you know that that is a heavy life. And you weren't made for that. You were made for your soul to be free. To be able to walk and to be led by the Spirit. Not just in heart and mind, but also in body and in social uh, relationships. To be completely liberated in the Spirit and in the fruit of the Spirit. So one of the reasons is freedom in your soul. The second is, just use your imagination at what life could be like if everybody in this room and in your spheres of life only thought about the other person. I know we just gather in this building for a short period of time, so think about the people that you share life with most frequently. What if nobody was able to think about themselves primarily? What if everybody's mindset was, how is this going to affect this person? Think about the beauty of a community like that. I think if that were to happen, people would be flocking to your doorstep, flocking to your house, saying, Can I come over for dinner and eat some huevos rancheros? That is truly what the human soul is longing for, health of soul in Christ and love and belonging, which Paul is speaking uh, by experience into these people of God. Um, I'm just going to stop right there and just end with this. If, if you're looking at this and you're saying, that's, yes, I agree. That does sound like what Paul is saying. That does sound like the will of God. That does sound compelling, like a compelling way of life. I just don't know how to get there. Can I just give you two things? Not religious things, not things to obsess about, just space to create for yourself, to try, to test the promises of God here. Things that we've been talking about throughout the book of Philippians. One, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about two things, retraining, uh, renewing our mind with truth and retraining our body with practices. New thoughts, new practices. Uh, we've been speaking about that through, through Philippians. We could do the same thing. We can begin to retrain. If you're at that point where you're like, I know this is the right thing to do, but I love myself and I don't know how to stop loving myself more than I love other people. And you can't. You can't just willpower your way out of that. You have to change the way that you think. Paul said this, right? Spiritual transformation starts in the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need new thoughts. That's why we're memorizing scripture about a different way to live and a new person to live with and for. So you can begin to invest your mind with a better kingdom life. We're already doing that. That's the point of of memorizing the Jesus poem is to look at the life of Jesus and to be compelled by the kingdom. But you can continue to do that. You can start reading uh, one of the gospels and just follow the life of Jesus along and be like, what is his quality of life? What what does he value? What does his life look like? Why does he do the things? And just begin to drench your soul with who Jesus is. Allow him to permeate your mind in the way that you think. You can begin to renew your mind with a new script, the narrative of Jesus and the kingdom of God. As you begin to think new things, you adopt new practices. Because we have those habits, right? So we retrain ourselves with new habits. Here's one. Try this this week if you want, if you're bold, if you're feeling daring. Try this week or in the coming weeks to defer to someone. Who you do not see eye to eye on. Someone who, in your mind, you're like, wrong. (laughs) And just try this. As you're renewing your mind, just, and I don't mean out of lip service or to try to appear spiritual and loving, but really attempt, I'm going to attempt to understand this person, why they think that. They must, they must be coming from some place that I don't know. I want to seek to understand. Actually assume that they may know something that you do not and that they can actually better your understanding. Maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Listen to them. Withhold judgment. Attempt to see their point of view. Maybe even going so far as to defer to their better judgment. Very hard. Just try it. I have uh, often been shaped by this phrase by the Scottish theologian Ian McLaren who once said, be kind, because everyone you meet is fighting a difficult battle. A battle that usually most of us never see. Pretend to see, there's probably a battle. Where is this person coming from? I tell you, if you're renewing your mind and you're attempting to understand what that person is going through, you will start to experience change by the Holy Spirit won't come overnight, but as you're replaying truth in your mind, this is what Jesus did for me. And you begin to take on Jesus' habits for other people. Over time, you'll start to notice the life of Christ showing up in your behavior, in your character, in your body, in your mind, in your heart. What's happening? Jesus is slowly conforming you to the image of himself. Working in you, the ability to work and to will for his good pleasure. And that is his good pleasure, to make you just like him. Heavenly Father, as we sing this morning, we move into a time of singing, using our bodies to express truth about you. I pray that truth would conform our minds to who you really are. pray that you would have mercy on me. Uh, if there's anything that I said that was not truthful, not, uh, not helpful, inaccurate, I pray that you would just help us to forget that. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would embed in our memories today uh, the things that you want us to dwell on. And specifically, I ask God for my, my brothers and sisters in this building right now, as they are pursuing you and being pursued by you, that if there's anything in their lives that's, that's coming between them and somebody else, I just pray for the power of reconciliation to happen. And we ask for our church specifically that reconciliation would be like a real thing, that the God who reconciles people to himself would spread the, the spirit of reconciliation amongst us, that we would consider each other more important than ourselves. And I pray that that would spill out into this community, that we would begin to look out upon this beautiful community that you've put us in. We would see people and consider them more important than ourselves. And I pray that would trickle down into the deepest caverns of society, to the least of these, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the isolated, to the lonely. And I pray that in doing so, we would experience what Paul would say elsewhere, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and filled to the fullness of God. Only you can do that, God. So work in our hearts right now and give us a visitation. We pray by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.